You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen, released February 13th, 1981. It was written by Stan Burns and David Axelrod, based on a story by Jerry Sherlock and characters by Earl Dare Biggers, directed by Clive Donner, and released by American Cinema Productions. In 1919, Earl Dare Biggers, frustrated with the way Chinese characters were stereotyped, developed the Charlie Chan character. (laughs) (laughs) This this is completely different than the way they were stereotyped before. Okay. As an answer to yellow peril Asian villains like Fu Manchu, he was specifically inspired by an article he read while visiting Hawaii about two Chinese-American officers working in the Honolulu police force. In total, Biggers wrote six novels, including the Charlie Chan character, starting with The House Without a Key, in which Chan did not play a major role. So is it, like, suddenly more respectable because he's playing, like, an actual detective as opposed to... He's playing a good guy is the biggest difference. a good guy. Yeah. Usually Chinese characters were scheming and evil in everything before that. And I would argue that nothing that Biggers does is especially racist with the character. No, no, no. The, the, just, but the portrayal of the character is right. racist. It's racist because it's usually a white European man playing a Chinese man. Yeah, why in, it's in a very in the books, exaggerated he's not, and stereotypical way. Right. And in the books, he doesn't spout Confuciusisms constantly. Okay. That wasn't a part of the novels. Ah. The novels, he was just basically a Chinese Sherlock Holmes. Okay. He, right. he was overweight, but there was nothing stereotypically Chinese about him. Got it. Until now that people have adapted that into... A racist caricature because so many white people have played that character the first adaptation of a charlie chan story was from the same book in 1926 in which charlie was portrayed by japanese actor george kua the following year universal put out the chinese parrot again starring a japanese actor kamiyama sojin as chan and then in 1929 fox produced behind the curtain starring a korean actor as chan e.l park though none of the Charlie Chans played by Asian-American actors were the lead characters of their films. Huh. In fact, the Korean actor only shows up in the last 10 minutes of his movie. But he's the lead character of the books they're based on. I believe so, yes. That's weird. It wasn't until 1931's Charlie Chan Carries On that the character was given center stage and portrayed by a Swedish actor, Werner Oland. Oland would go on to star in 16 Chan films for Fox, often with Key Luke, an actual Chinese actor, portraying his son Lee Chan, who he commonly refers to in the films as number one son. After Olin's death, Chan was portrayed by Sidney Toller, an actor of mostly Scottish ancestry. The Toller films introduced an often frustrating number two son character, Jimmy Chan, played by Sen Young. When Fox decided they were done making Charlie Chan films, Toller bought the rights to the films himself and continued producing them until his death in 1947, when he was succeeded in the role by Roland Winters, a German-Austrian man whose name is weirdly similar to Warner Oland. Roland Winters. It's just they flip the names. 
In Neil Simon's 1976 film Murder by Death, Peter Sellers plays a Charlie Chan parody named Sidney Wang, Sidney obviously coming from Sidney Toller. When production began in 1980, the film was titled Charlie Chan and the Dragon Lady. As soon as it was announced, the film was protested by Asian American groups over the non-Chinese actors cast in Asian American roles, specifically Peter Ustinov and Angie Dickinson as Charlie Chan and the Dragon Queen. What? It's, that was going to be a question I had. Yes, she's supposed to be Chinese. Okay. <laughs> that is so poorly cast. Yes. And not, not just poorly cast, but then poorly makeuped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have dark hair. She's, yeah, okay. Producer Jerry Sherlock, self-proclaimed Chan fan and quote-unquote expert of the Orient, made no effort to appease the protesters, instead responding that the film was not a documentary and claiming he'd shown the script to 100 Asians before it was sold. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he literally said. I showed it to 100 Asians. Did you tell them that white people would be playing all the Asians? Because that's the problem. He also stated that it was not his fault that there were no bankable Asian American stars. It's like, you're a producer. It is your fault that there are no bankable Asian American stars. Oh my God. I feel like... I mean, we went through this last year, and I feel like we... I can't believe either of these movies got made in the 80s. <sighs> we're, we're obviously, we're referring to the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. They knew better by now. Yeah. Come on, guys. The film bombed super hard, and insanely, Miramax planned a reboot in the 90s with a new kind of Charlie Chan who would be a martial arts expert. Nothing at all like what? the character in the books. At the time, Lucy Liu was set to appear, uh, not as Chan, but <laughs> in the films. <laughs> And uh, she was going to executive produce the film. But despite appearing on the slate as recently as 2009, nothing has ever come of the project. I think I would like a reboot if they did it right. Because I mm-hmm. like the old Absolutely. Charlie Chan films. If I you think just they're did it, fun. If, if it's like a Miss Maple character yeah. that's just solving a murder mystery, yes. then it would be totally fine. As long as it's a Chinese actor playing the part. It's yes. not that hard to do. Only three actors have played the character in more than one film. Roland Winters was in six, the final six. Warner Oland was in the first 16 films, and Sidney Toller was in 22 films as this character. We start with delightfully racist oriental chiming music, and then we hear Peter Ustinov singing in his Chinese accent about observations and deceptions in his, even at the time, unacceptable yellowface voice. Always listening, always searching. It's amazing I don't get more tired than I do sorting out every clue can be a difficult job even for me. We see the bejeweled hand of the Dragon Queen blowing smoke into frame from off camera. Our story opens with black and white footage of Hawaii, and it's labeled then, so we don't know how long ago this was. A storm is brewing. Inside a palatial estate, we see a man waiting with four murder suspects positioned around a den, waiting for the inspector who promises to solve their mystery. The man waiting with them is the Hawaii chief of police, the Honolulu chief of police. Once again, I would have been probably okay with this movie. If it stayed in black and white. If it stayed in black and white and was as cheesy as overdone as this. It's like, Yeah. yeah. Just make it seem stylish. Like, yeah, and then and that's how you get around because like Peter Peter Sellers' character in Murder by Death, uh, I I appropriate or not, I, I get why they did it, 
because it's making fun of the fact that this character is always portrayed by that's what I thought by a by a white person, and so I was like, okay, if there if that's what if that's the intent of that joke, then I get it. Yeah, this film opens almost exactly how Mirror Cracked began in December of last year. One of the suspects refuses to wait and tries to leave when Chan enters with son number one, Lee Chan. Hasty departure, outward manifestation of guilty mind. Even as the suspects declare Chan will never solve this murder, we see a newspaper headline spiral into frame. The Honolulu Tribune says, Dragon Queen convicted of Lupowitz killing. Chan solves fork in teacup clue. The text of the article is the same placeholder text from the article about Jerry DeSalvo in the competition last year. (laughs) We fade from the newspaper to San Francisco now, and we're in color again. The Lupowitz gate opens to allow a paperboy access to the driveway. As the kid reaches the front doors, they open, and Roddy McDowell rolls out in a wheelchair, smoking a cigarette in one of those really long cigarette holders. The latest issue of the San Francisco Ledge is tossed in his lap, and the headline reads, Bizarre Killer Strikes Again. Chief Baxter Promises Break Soon. Charlie Chan Called from Retirement. Roddy McDowell, here playing a butler named Gillespie, growls and rolls backward into the house. He rolls up to the urn of his former master, Bernie, under a large oil painting, and taps some cigarette ash into it. I guess it's just open on the top. Yeah. (laughs) Dangerous urn. He rolls into the kitchen to collect orange juice and startles the housekeeper who drops something glass which shatters. She asks why he's here and for some reason he has to explain that they both work here and what each of their jobs are. Well, I am kind of glad that he did though because like at this <laughs> it's point just exposition I, did not, central. Yeah. I did not realize that he was the butler because who has a butler in a wheelchair? Mm. Someone forward thinking. Kinder than you. <laughs> Hard to buttle in a chair. Buttle. <laughs> the housekeeper, Mrs. Dangers, moves to visit the widowed lady of the house. It's the anniversary of Bernie's death, which at first I thought meant the first anniversary because she's so broken up about it. Mm-hmm. And I was very confused later on when she's having to explain who her grandson is to the deceased. And it's like, <laughs> he lived here his whole life. What is going on? Why does yeah. nobody know anything? <laughs> Why does nobody know anything? <laughs> The dialogue here is very clunky and it's jam-packed with exposition. Dangers tells Mrs. Lupowitz not to say death so loud because there's a stranger living in the East Wing who she doesn't recognize or trust. Lupowitz has to explain that the stranger is her grandson who has always lived here since he was orphaned as a baby. Why doesn't the housekeeper know about this? I don't know. I never figured this out. I was so confused by that. The story doesn't seem to ring a bell for Dangers and we cut to the grandson's room where Richard Hatch as Lee Chan Jr., Son number one of son number one. In his room, he has a framed photograph of his grandfather, Charlie Chan. Lee is waking up to an alarm clock message recorded by his girlfriend, Cordelia, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. The message is full of more exposition, including that Chan is his grandfather and that he and Cordelia are scheduled to be married in three days. The camera floats across the room to show two pennants on the wall, one for University of Shanghai and one for Yeshiva University, to hammer at home that we intend to make a lot of jokes at the expense of his half-Chinese, half-Jewish character. Mrs. Lupowitz continues the what-must-be-daily-lesson on who she works for and what happened to the family. Lee's parents were killed in an automobile accident. Mrs. Dangers blames the curse of the Dragon Queen, which she for some reason remembers, but Lupowitz (laughs) does not believe in the curse. Dangers tries to leave the room to prepare breakfast and forgets that the door is locked from the inside for some reason. Gillespie tips more ash into Bernie's Ernie. Mrs. Lipowitz. <laughs> Mrs. 
Bernie's Ernie. <laughs> Mrs. Lupowitz goes to Neil by the urn and lets Bernie know her troubles. First, she tells what I thought was her recently deceased husband that he has a half-Jewish, half-Chinese grandson who spent his entire life with this house. <laughs> and he's marrying a girl named Cordelia Farrington the third, who is neither Jewish nor Chinese. That's not the problem, Bernie. The problem is his paternal grandfather is Charlie Chan. Do you remember him? He's the one who solved your murder. First of all, you're asking Ash questions. <laughs> Second of all, your daughter married his son, so I would guess Bernie remembers the guy. But I guess no, that happened way after he died. It yeah. happened after he died because yeah. they didn't meet until his detective came to solve his murder. Exactly. <laughs> They're building up so much backstory to, to that bring doesn't us... play into anything. Yeah, it's like just just go. We'll figure it out. We're they're spoon feeding everything to us. When she finally gets to the real complaint, she's worried that Lee will take after his grandfather in the business of mystery solving. Not sure why that's such a bad thing, seeing as how Chan is a successful and world-famous detective. She grabs the urn to hug it and notices that he's getting heavier on account of Gillespie's ashes. We cut back to Lee's room. Cigarette ashes, to just right, be clear. Yes. <laughs> we cut back to Lee's room for a repeat of every joke from last time. In a second wake-up call, Cordelia reminds him that Chan is his grandfather that they are getting married, and that he attends two universities, one Chinese and one Jewish. Mrs. Dangers gives Lupowitz her morning tea, but offers to taste it first, in case someone has tried to poison her. Ah! Ah! What is it? Ah! It was hot! <laughs> Actually, chuckled at that joke. Is there a plot of somebody trying to kill her that... No. Like... Well, because Mrs. Dangers is, is, as we'll come to find out, just paranoid. About everything. Everything. Okay. Yeah. It's just weird. Even though the table is 20 feet long and only has one person eating at it, they make a whole ceremony out of sliding a small section into the middle of the table to make room for Lee, whose third alarm is just now going off. This is your third and final wake-up call. Honey, if you're still asleep, I want you to get up right okay. now. You'll have plenty of time okay. to sleep on our honeymoon. Sweetheart. When Lee comes downstairs, he tries to hide from his grandmother to avoid breakfast. His grandmother, by the way, is played by a woman 20 years older than him. Which isn't technically impossible, but unlikely. <laughs> While Lupowitz implores Lee to join her for breakfast, he notices the newspaper and reads about the fourth bizarre killing. Wow, another bizarre murder. I know. Listen to this. The victim was discovered late last night at a local health spa. The body, wrapped in two layers of thick aluminum foil, was found in the steam room. He was... He was baked to death with a giant potato nail through his heart. Ah, it's horrible. The killer must be mad. And I had to Google the word, the, the words potato nail, because I was like, is that really what you call that thing? What, what do you mean, Like the, the metal spike that you would put potatoes on when you're, when you're baking them? Mm-hmm. Or steaming them? So, so they cook thoroughly... Uh, into the middle but i've a, never heard of this i've never heard of a potato nail either until they said there was a giant potato nail poked through him and i was I like what is a giant potato nail i don't know what this is i'm gonna look it up maybe yeah. i need one yeah it, 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 <laughs> i don't know if it cooks them faster but it it's yeah it's a way to like steam a bunch of them like you could steam four of them but i, I think that the nail also translates the heat into, into the core the of the potato yeah interesting okay all right i'm into it Lee goes to work slicing bagels for breakfast, but he keeps cutting toward himself with the dullest knife available. Finally, he cuts a bagel in half toward his chest, and he gets through the bagel and his tie. Gillespie rolls by to throw more breakfast at Lee, 
but he takes it away before Lee can eat any of it. He drops a plate of eggs, and Lee asks for some condiments. Soy sauce, Grandma. My God, on locks and eggs? Again, Robo Butler steals the plate before Lee can start into it. When Gillespie comes around a third time, Lee tosses a silver knife into his chair's motor, causing a short which makes the chair burst into flames. Gillespie spins around uncontrollably in the chair for a moment, no doubt making him a dizzy Gillespie. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd like that one. Lee heads out the front door to meet his chauffeur, a man named Stefan, with three parallel scars on both sides of his face where sideburns should be. Gillespie's chair is magically fixed in time to watch Lee drive away. Before he can even get off the property, though, Lee notices his fiancée Cordelia riding a horse across their yard. He hops out of the car to rush up to her, startling the horse and sending them both tumbling down a grassy hill. When they stop, he asks if she's sure she wants to marry him. Are you absolutely sure you want to marry me? Of course I'm sure. What made you bring that up? Lee! No, no, I I think you're better off without me. I mean, you're young and you're beautiful and you're... I mean, you're free. You can go out and meet exciting new men, men who are confident and bright. I don't want bright, confident men. I want you. They kiss passionately and part ways. As his car pulls out of the gate, We see a limo across the street and the arm of the Dragon Queen taps her chauffeur's shoulder and he follows Lee's car. Stefan drops Lee off and he rides the bus into Chinatown. Lee advises a shop owner to lower his awning to block the sunlight and dumps gallons of rain over angry customers. Lee walks away without noticing the damage he's done. The angry woman trashes the shop and a car trying to avoid the chaos swerves in the water and crashes into things on the opposite side of the street. A policeman is launched in the air by a demolished fire hydrant and grabs a banner hung across the street, which then tears, causing him to swing like a wrecking ball through a pile of crates at another storefront, releasing dozens of ducks into the street. Yeah, this this oh is like, uh, uh, like a Tati or uh, even Peter Sellers-esque just kind of like disaster scene yeah. in the wake of like, I'm not doing anything because I'm just so good natured yeah but it's just things keep happening around him and they do this for every scene for the first half it's of the movie so it's exhausting obnoxious. i i was especially upset about the ducks though because people are like scrambling all over the place and i literally can see people stepping on ducks or were they farting lee wanders into another shop and checks in on a mahjong game and accidentally breaks a chair and tips the table throwing the tiles everywhere because everything has to be crazy yeah everything has to go completely insane so frustrating he, he reminds me do you guys remember the movie pure luck i fucking love that movie <laughs> don't say anything mean about pure luck well that's exactly what this whole, the whole but the point of that movie is supposed to be that he's super unlucky he's the unluckiest person on the planet right lee is just mildly incompetent well, yeah but what bothers me is he doesn't acknowledge all of these things that are happening around him i'm like you can't walk past all this crap that you just knocked over and just be like oh, well. yeah His office is in the back room of the Mahjong building, and he hears his phone ringing inside. His key gets stuck in the door, but the keys are chained to his pants, so he accidentally yanks the door off the hinges on his way in. He has to remove his pants completely to get to the receiver. By the time he answers, the person on the other end hangs up. Suddenly, bricks are being thrown through the windows of his office, and they're wrapped in ads for Al's window repair. For some reason, he is collecting the bricks in his desk drawer. That never pays off. Yeah, well, and and we keep seeing this glass repair company throughout the film, like right. wrecking the cars full of glass. Yeah, and I was like, is this a joke? I think it's supposed to be. Th- th- this whole- well, I think 
the truck we see later is is not wrecking glass. The truck is delivering glass. Yeah, but it keeps they keep, keeps crashing and breaking the glass that's inside well, the truck. Well, someone crashed into the glass truck right. and broke the glass. But that wasn't like the Al doing that on purpose. No, no, no. But it, but 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 what is this connection? What is this joke? Well, I, I think I, the joke of that scene is that the other drivers get out and they're like, "Oh, it's that fucking Al guy that keeps throwing bricks through yeah, our windows." Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say they, they there are people that try to attack him for, for so he's apparently doing this to everyone. Um, but what's weird is that he has like thirty bricks in this drawer, which he doesn't have thirty windows. Right. So is he using this service to replace the windows? That's what I can only assume. And does he need the number every time? <laughs> this movie is full of a lot of what I call non jokes. It's like yeah. I get that this is supposed to be something I laugh at, but I don't want to laugh because I don't get it and it's yeah. not funny. Yes, that's true. Suddenly we're in an acupuncture office where doctors are throwing darts at a poster of the human anatomy. A doctor leads a tour through their facility and shows off a woman undergoing acupuncture with electric needles. In the next partition well, And and she has to touch one of them and go, ouch. Like, because otherwise the joke wasn't funny, but yeah, it still wasn't funny. <laughs> it's like, I get you already said they're electric. Unless this is going to pay off in some other kind of way where someone else tries to like pick her up and they get electrocuted. But, but That's the end of it. That's yeah. the end of it. It's just like, what, what was this? In the next partition, much to her surprise, she finds a patient hanging from the ceiling, porcupined with acupuncture needles, but with a giant railroad spike stabbed through his chest. This might be what they were calling a... A potato nail. No, because the, the other, other guy was covered scene. in foil. Right, but I wonder if the prop is the same as what they were implying was a was a potato nail because it, it looks so everybody's like, everybody's potato nailed in this universe. If you put this spike through a person wrapped in foil, I would say it's a potato nail. Okay, I also just want to go back and say that I did a small amount of googling instead of listening to you for like the last ten minutes. And potato nails, in theory, do not work, so I didn't want to lead our listeners astray. Okay, I will not be buying potato nails. Potato nails are a hoax. Yeah, little to no improvement on cook time. What about uh, for people? <laughs> little to no improvement on cook time okay <laughs> vlad the impaler had no success <laughs> cooking these people later a police chief tries to convince a crowd of reporters that this was a run-of-the-mill suicide he does admit that charlie chan has been requested to work on the case but has a panic attack when they continue to press for answers in the room with the body the chief starts hyperventilating again and the deputy starts pumping air into his mouth with some sort of a device i don't know if this is also novocaine because they'll use novocaine on him later um but he's doing something to help the chief breathe as chan's helicopter lands near the golden gate bridge the press are there to document his arrival but lee is so excited to see his grandfather that he trips over their microphone wires and accidentally yanks several people off the platform and into the bay as chan gets into a squad car he is handed the fat stack of a file on the bizarre killer Oh, uh, yes, files. Yeah. Probably take longer to read file than to solve case. The character of Charlie Chan is famous for his Confucius-isms, but they're all very half-assed in this film. As the procession of police cars takes Chan back to his hotel, we tilt down on the Dragon Queen watching them through binoculars. In the lobby of his hotel, Chan greets Mrs. Lupowitz. Mrs. Dangerous is here too, and advises the Lupowitz household staff seated around her not to speak to the detective. Oh, how generous of you to invite them. Well, I didn't invite them. They just got in the car. <laughs> I like that she started her car and her entire staff got into it and she didn't say anything. In- including Gillespie. Yeah. Like, how how did he 
just get into the car yeah, without assistance lee introduces chan to his fiance cordelia mrs lupowitz crashes into a bellhop who spills drinks on her dress she's furious and stefan threatens to kill the man the family and staff take seats around a table and urge detective chan to tell the story of the fork in the teacup clue apparently they haven't heard this story because they they want to they want him to tell it and it's like they should all know this story this is how they determined who murdered right. their they, father. some of these people were present yeah <laughs> we fade back to the black and white scene and chan explains the original cause of death was ruled suicide but he determined that mr lupowitz was poisoned and then a gun was placed in his hand so that when rigor mortis set in his fingers would pull the trigger to emulate a suicide the fatal flaw in the plan came when the hands of the body dropped and were stabbed by a small fork the wound from the fork didn't bleed because the body was long dead thus proving mr lupowitz didn't die from the gunshot chan makes a further deduction that because the dragon queen was the first one on the scene that she was in the position to place the gun back in mr lupowitz hand before anyone else had arrived in which case why wouldn't you just shoot him in the head and then put the gun in his hand if you were going to be the first one there anyway when chan accuses her the dragon queen pulls out a gun and starts swinging it around the room threatening everyone son number one tackles her to the ground and she curses chan's family to the third generation as the hawaiian police chief takes her away chan thanks his son for saving his life and lee chan senior takes this opportunity to announce that he intends to marry the daughter of the deceased mr lupowitz we fade back to the present and charlie chan makes an attempt to retire to his room when everyone stands we see that the dragon queen has been listening from a chair facing away from them lee chan jr waits by some elevator doors until they open and water floods out knocking him and several other hotel guests to the floor mrs lupowitz blames chan for the attack and somehow five hotel guests are killed yeah they're they're they drown in the elevator they were in it when it when they, it opened yeah, yeah the, so, the bodies yeah. come it's, it's this is the most horrifying part of the movie is the the elevators is full of d bodies that have been drowned yeah i missed that they were in there before i thought they literally just drown in the splash chan requests that the hotel provide him with a list of employees with access to the elevator it seems like everybody has access to the elevator it opens into the lobby of the <laughs> <Yeah>. hotel <laughs> the, the the list is moot because we don't even see it yeah but also you know spoiler alert the person that wouldn't have access right chan asks for lee's opinion on the elevator attack lee notices a fire hose pointed into the elevator and assumes that the other end of this hose is connected to a faucet in the killer's room because he's an idiot like that's not how fire hoses work they're connected to the wall on a floor but chan corrects that the hose likely leads to the roof where the killer timed everything out so they could escape safely cordelia drives chan to lee's detective office i don't know how they got separated completely but I, I i do like part of their conversation that they have in the car when she's trying to play up how smart uh lee is right and she goes when we go to see a, a mystery movie he's figured it out halfway through sometimes i have to go see it twice before i figure it out yeah <laughs> when they enter his office he's dressed like charlie chan with charlie's facial hair you are a murderer Grandpop, Cordelia, what a surprise. He says he was testing a disguise. Cordelia explains that Lee is dressed this way because he loves his grandfather so much and wants to be a brilliant detective. There's a knock at the door, and when Lee answers, there's a child looking for Lala. 
Evidently, this girl has employed Lee to find her pet cat, and he has thus far failed to deliver, but he pretends that she's here selling Girl Scout fortune cookies. She drags him into the hallway and beats the crap out of him. Lee confesses to Cordelia and Chan that he can't find work, and he can't even find this cat. They encourage him to keep trying, but Chan stops short of suggesting that he will ever be as good a detective as he is. Then you think it's possible, Grandpop, for me to be as great a detective as you? Chan, not say that. We cut to Mrs. Lupowitz talking to Bernie's ashes again, and suddenly she's dancing with them. Charlie Chan arrives at the Lupowitz house, and we see the Dragon Queen is parked across the street again. Okay, dumb question. Yes. Who's the Dragon Queen? Like, like why? In the story? Like, we get all of this, like, ridiculous, unnecessary exposition, but at no point, like, why was the Dragon Queen at their house the night that he well, died she's, anyways? she's his, his mistress. Okay. And I think she was there at the house because the Honolulu police chief called in all the suspects to meet with the detective. Yeah, the Mr. Lupowitz, that, w- that was Mrs. Lupowitz's big complaint was that Charlie Chan dragged her husband's name through the mud because he had all these different affairs with other oh, women. Oh, okay. And right. even where in the flashback she's saying things like, like, can we can we give my husband a break like he's dead? Like, let's stop talking about how he cheated on me. The point is I loved him. And Okay, all right. At the dinner table, before they begin their meal, Lee calls for a toast to the family being together and suggests they all check their watches, which causes them all to dump wine on themselves, except for Mr. Chan. Mrs. Lupowitz says that she has to go change because of her spill, and when Lee notices that Cordelia's dress is wet, he leaps over a centerpiece constructed entirely from pineapples to help her somehow. Yeah, again, this is another thing. I I don't get what, what your intent was. To by leaping over the table. Yeah, it's like it's a moisture that's soaking <laughs> to, into her dress. To what end? You don't <laughs> tackle a stain out. Um, but also, this is one of two very vague hints that the Lupowitz family is famous for pineapple farms. Yeah. Like that's what they're rich from is pineapples. What? Oh. That's why they're the centerpiece is all pineapples, and there's pineapples all over the movie. But th- because they're from Hawaii. They were, they were a pineapple farm, and that's how they made their billions or whatever. Okay. Mrs. Dangers drags Lee back to the kitchen when suddenly we can hear Mrs. Lupowitz screaming from her room. I don't know why he got dragged into the kitchen. It just happened. Uh, and when they hear the mother screaming in the room, they find her on the floor with a purple scarf tied tight around her neck. Lee gets it untied and then starts searching the room for prints. Chan asks if there's anyone who might want her dead, and everyone says, no. On Mrs. Lupowitz's vanity, Chan finds a matchbook for a club downtown. On their way down the sidewalk, Chan is complimented by a row of men on the street for his outfit. Who's your tailor? Who's your tailor? The man where you get your money. White on white, that's all They take a seat inside the club, and again, we pan to the dragon queen sitting in the corner. This is getting old. I mean, those men weren't just men. They were... Pimps? Pimps. They were pimps. Yes. Yeah. We get a quick insert of Richard Hatch as Lee Chan Jr. ordering a Captain Apollo on the rocks, which is just an embarrassing reference to the character he played on Battlestar Galactica. It's like if Sean Connery were in a different movie and was like, I'll have a James Bond drink, please. Yeah. (laughs) Because I played James Bond. Every time you say this, though, I'm picturing a, you know, half-naked, bearded man in short shorts when you're like, Richard Hatch is uh, Yes, not that Richard Hatch. (laughs) Not the one from Survivor. (laughs) 
and not the band Survivor. The show Survivor. Because there was also a Richard Hatch in the band Survivor. No. No, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) The man on stage is jamming out on an electric saxophone for some reason. The police chief complains about the loud music and his assistant blows Novocaine powder into his ears to numb and deafen him. Cordelia drags Lee to the dance floor and quickly has a purple scarf wrapped around his neck, which I thought was the first blatant hint that she'll be like the daughter of the Dragon Queen or something like that. Someone wearing a glove pours an entire glass of water into the electric saxophone, and the musician is electrocuted. We can't tell whose hand it is that poured the water, except that it wasn't the Dragon Queen, because it was someone's right hand, and the Dragon Queen's right hand is completely wrapped in bejeweled golden shit. Not literal shit, but stuff. Yeah. It's bedazzled. Everyone on the dance floor emulates the electrocuted dead guy as though it were a dance move, a joke we last saw in Airplane from 1980, where Julie Haggerty didn't realize the man she was dancing with was trying to get a knife out of his back. The same gloved hand turns off the power in the club, and when the lights come back on, everyone has left the dance floor. Oh no! The the suspect! Where the suspects go! At Lee's office later, he complains about the lack of progress in their investigation. A third brick comes through his office window, but this one's not wrapped in paper, But then when Lee picks it up on the floor, it is wrapped in paper. Mm. And it's the window repairman sending a follow-up to correct the incorrect phone number on the previous brick. There's another knock at the door. A man steps inside and says, message for Mr. Chan, before collapsing into Lee's arms. Chan tells him not to catch the man, and he drops him on the floor, at which point we can see a knife stabbing a note into the man's back. The note says, the next bizarre killing will take place this afternoon at Mallard Lake, behind the riding academy at golden gate park 3 30 p.m so it's a real subtle clue yeah it's um, not just go to this place at this time for the next scene at this point i was convinced cordelia is the killer yeah that's what i thought the whole time that like, she was playing dumb well i thought yeah i thought that she was trying to make it give him all these things to solve so that he would have this big case yeah that this would be his big break and at the end she was going to be like you caught me sweetie yeah you did it And he's like, sweetie, you have to go to jail now. What? I did this for you. On the way there, they notice that all these street toughs are wearing exact duplicates of Charlie Chan's outfit because he looked so cool the night before. At the riding academy, they walk along a river when the dragon queen fires a blow dart at them, narrowly missing them. So (laughs) Potato nail. Right. A (laughs) tiny, thin (laughs) potato nail. So she's the killer. (laughs) Like, she's a killer. She's a killer. She's She's trying to kill them. And she left them a note telling them to go to the writing academy so that she could blow dart them? I don't know. This doesn't make sense with how the movie actually ends. I don't know why she's here at all. If your plan was to kill someone with a blow dart, would you tell them where and at what time you're going to do it? Or would you just do it? (laughs) Especially since 90% of the movie she spends eight feet away from them. Lurking around wherever they are. While they're sitting in chairs. Chan sees the dart stick in a tree and recognizes his old nemesis, the Dragon Queen. She steals a horse-drawn carriage, so Lee does the same, driving the horse while Chan and Cordelia ride in the carriage. More horses and eventually a police car are drawn into the chase. When Lee catches up with the Dragon Queen, the carriage wheels are grinding against each other, throwing sparks. I I like (laughs) when the police chief tries to grab hold of the dragon queen and she whips his hand yeah and he goes ouch then he like like he like sucks on the wound and then goes bitch (laughs) (laughs) that was the only part of the movie that i laughed at well that's brian keith for you 
The officer driving the chief's car puts a thermometer in his mouth to check his temperature while they drive, but they crash into a tree, and when the man takes the thermometer out of his mouth, half of it is missing. Where's the other half? I ate it. Will you drive the goddamn car? Lee jumps from the coach driver's seat to the back of a horse, and then steps across onto one of the Dragon Queen's horses while she's whipping at him. The carriage is racing across PCH onto the beach, and the police car launches off the road and skids into the surf. Lee's carriage tips over, and the police car is destroyed, so the Dragon Queen is able to race off without anybody. Chan suspects that she will make another attempt on their lives at his grandson's wedding. As Lee dresses for the wedding, a phone rings in his room, and he finds it inside of a box. Like he has a wooden box with a telephone in it in his room. It's the Dragon Queen, and she says that she has his grandfather hostage. If you want to see your grandfather alive, come to the old loft above the l Tinge Theater in Chinatown. Right now. Now, first of all, if you're going to make this threat, you should have the grandfather, right? Right. And you should know that there's no way that he's going to just encounter the grandfather or that he's not already in the same room with his grandfather. Yeah. Right. There's no thinking out of this plan. Because the grandfather hasn't been taken by anybody. He's just downstairs getting ready for the wedding. But she specifically tells him not to tell anyone or to bring anyone. And then he rushes to his fiance to bring her. I mean, I know she probably she probably just knows that he's an idiot and yeah. will just do this. But there's a chance that if Chan was sitting across from him in the room that he might know. Yes. You don't have He's him. not quite that much of an idiot. I gotta help him. I'm going with you. No, you have to stay here. You're getting married today. But you are too. Oh yeah, let's go. Okay. They hop in Lee's convertible, and he drives terribly throughout downtown L.A. We see the marquee at the El Tinge Theater, which reads, Charlie Chan Film Classics Today. They head into the dark and cobweb-covered loft, where they find a secret door. Lee offers to go through first and is quickly chloroformed, and Cordelia follows right behind him and is also knocked out. Charlie Chan arrives at the wedding, and Mrs. Lupowitz asks if he knows where Lee or Cordelia went. He basically tells her that she's ugly for worrying about it. Please do not upset self. Worry does not enhance appearance of beautiful woman. A note arrives addressed to Charlie Chan. It's from the Dragon Queen, and she's calling Chan to the loft above the theater. Chan pulls away in a car, and Mrs. Lupowitz and Mrs. Dangerous follow close behind in a second car. So I feel like this note was supposed to arrive first... And, and then he then, was supposed to leave, yeah. And then the Dragon Queen was supposed to call. That makes sense. <laughs> and the note came late. He screwed it up in the edit. <laughs> but he didn't. it didn't matter. Yeah. Back in the loft, Lee and Cordelia are tied up and gagged. An angry dog is leashed a couple feet away from them, but the rope holding the dog is attached to a candle that will soon burn through the rope, releasing the dog. Roddy McDowell, as the completely useless character Gillespie, rides his wheelchair and fast forward to the location. Lee has an idea, so he and Cordelia sing happy birthday <laughs> to the dog to trick it into blowing out a candle before it burns through the rope. This is the funniest joke in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it and took, it's it took stupid. Me. Yeah. I cannot believe how long it took me to realize why they were singing happy birthday. Yeah. I I feel really dumb. But the dog but blows the, out the candle. <laughs> well, I, I, I felt really dumb, and then the dog blew out the candle, and I'm like... I guess i'm not that dumb i did not see that coming <laughs> i think this whole movie was written around they taught a dog to blow out a candle <laughs> <laughs> now i want to do a remake of this movie and totally throw out and everything about the plot out. 
except the dog. Oh, I was going to say, candle. just take that scene out. Well, see, it would have been funny. I, like, I think it would have been funnier, like if it was like a toddler, like, like an angry toddler barking at them. <laughs> no, like, like on a like, string. No, no, you you would have like a like a situation where like the the toddler doesn't understand that the the parents are in trouble. And so they start singing happy birthdays so that the toddler would waddle over to the oh, candle that's, and blow that would be it good, out. Yeah. I feel like this this belonged actually in a like a Nick and Nora kind of like, uh, you know, Thin story. Man. Yeah, because they have the dog. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, this is probably from one of their movies. And they're just like, ah, we could just stick it in a Charlie Chan movie instead. That'd be funny if um in the baby movie, if the kid's like coming towards them and it's like getting ready to blow out the candles to save their lives. And one of them's like, right now I'm wishing that he'll blow out the candle so we'll be safe. And he's like, no, don't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Chan and the police find their way into the room where Lee and Cordelia are tied up. The Dragon Queen reveals herself and levels a gun at Charlie Chan. Meanwhile, outside, Mrs. Lupowitz, Mrs. Dangerous, and Stefan are coming up the stairs to the loft. Gillespie's at the bottom, looking up these long stairs, and uh, there's no way up for him. The Dragon Queen threatens Charlie Chan, but just before she can fire her gun, Lee dive-tackles her in the same way that his father did many years ago. The police chief asks his man to arrest the Dragon Queen, but Charlie Chan intercedes. Dragon Queen, not bizarre killer. He does, however, suggest that the killer is in this room. First, Chan points out that Gillespie is faking his paralysis by lighting one of his legs on fire. You can walk. Well, certainly I can walk. Just don't want to. <laughs> Which I like that joke, too. I feel like we should arrest the Dragon Queen, though. She did try yes. to kill them. Yes. Yeah. So She did most of the attempted murders in this movie. Yeah. Chan says he figured it all out when he saw the scuff marks on Gillespie's shoes. Next, he points out the obvious craziness of Mrs. Dangers, but then admits that she's too paranoid to commit a crime. Third, he accuses Stefan of being overqualified as the family chauffeur. Chan has identified Stefan as the prince of the Mosambi tribe by the scarrings on his face. But does that pay off at all? Like, is nope. there any explanation nope. of why this prince is a chauffeur? Nope. No, he just is. And that's the end of that story. As Chan calls out the suspects one by one, Chief Baxter raises two handguns to arrest each person, <laughs> but Chan keeps calling him off. No, Ainet, you're under arrest for... No. No, huh? Chan calls out Mrs. Lupowitz as the suspect. He claims that the Dragon Queen couldn't be the killer because she used simple knots to tie up Lee and Cordelia, but Mrs. Lupowitz can tie a fancy knot like the one her scarf is in now, or the one that she was in in her room, pretending that someone did it to her. He also explains that she crashed into the bellhop at the hotel to cover a wet spot on her clothes from when she filled the elevator with water and drowned those five people. Chan declares Mrs. Lupowitz the murderer, and Lee asks why. Her motive is basically that Chan found out too much when he investigated her husband's death and told the newspapers all about her deceased husband and his indiscretions. Her plan was to commit mysterious murders so that Chan was brought in to solve them, but so that she could outsmart and embarrass Chan. And that was going to be my revenge on the world's greatest detective. Look like your plan have failed. Mrs. Lupowitz makes a run for it, down a slide, and out of the building, and everybody follows. Mrs. Lupowitz is running around behind the screen during a Charlie Chan film festival, Mrs. Lupowitz runs in front of the screen in the theater just as Chan points into camera and says, you are the murderer. Mrs. Lupowitz argues with his depiction on the screen and the theatrical audience applauds because they think it's, it's part of the show. Yeah. version of this Charlie Chan. 
Eventually, they have her cornered, and Lee asks if there's anything he could do to help his grandmother, and she asks him not to tell Grandpa Bernie what she did. We cut right to the conclusion of Lee and Cordelia's wedding, and Mrs. Lupowitz is watching it from the backseat of a police car. So they let her go to the wedding, even though she was in custody. Mm -hmm. Charlie Chan gives his grandson a wedding gift, and when he opens it, he finds Lala the cat dead no it's it's just the cat's alive you don't know if it's dead or alive till you open the box (laughs) okay the police drive off with mrs lupowitz and lee drives off with cordelia dragging there's a bunch of shoes tied to the car anyway that's the end that's the end of our movie yeah thank god our director here was clive donner Last year, he directed The Nude Bomb for us. Much funnier film. Oh, yeah, by far. He had previously directed What's New Pussycat and a bunch of television stuff. The story was from Jerry Sherlock, that guy who showed the script to 100 Asians. (laughs) This is his only writing credit, thank God. He also produced The Hunt for Red October. Writer Stan Burns is a longtime TV comedy writer, including The Tonight Show, Steve Allen, Smothers Brothers, Get Smart, Carol Burnett Show, Mary Tyler Moore Hour, and The Late Show. This was his only feature. Writer David Axelrod, again, his only non-television credit, though he has a lot of soundtrack credits because of his song The Edge being sampled in Dr. Dre's The Next Episode. Character credit goes to Earl Durr Biggers, who has 77 writing credits on account of his novels being adapted. This was the second to last before The House of Long Shadows in 1983, based on the novel The Seven Keys to Baldpate, which is not a Charlie Chan story. It's a Golan Globus horror comedy starring Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and John Carradine. Is Earl Durr Biggers, is, is his name Earl or is he an Earl? I don't know. Okay. But this was the last Charlie Chan film. Cinematographer Paul Lohman Uh, He was the DP on Meteor and Time After Time. Editor Walter Hanneman, he edited Nude Bomb for Donner last year. Uh, He edited Smokey and the Bandit and The Villain before that. And this was his second to last feature before The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. The other editor, Phil Tucker, also worked on The Nude Bomb, and this was his last editorial credit. Peter Ustinoff played Charlie Chan. He's played Hercule Poirot many times. We'll see him again this year for The Great Muppet Caper. Insanely, this was Ustinov's second time playing a Chinese character after 1975's Disney film, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Lee Grant played Mrs. Lupowitz. She's the aunt of the devil in The Omen 2. She's Mrs. Colbert, or Colbert, in In the Heat of the Night. And we saw her last year as the judge at the end of Little Miss Marker. Angie Dickinson played the Dragon Queen. So far, we've covered her work in Klondike Fever and Dress to Kill for 1980. She's back later this season for Death Hunt. She was Feathers in Rio Bravo, and at the time of this film's release, she was married to Burt Bacharach. Richard Hatch was Lee Chan Jr. He's Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica. He's Tom Zarek in 23 episodes of the reboot. He was also in MacGyver, episode 3 for the Road, where Mac teams up with an old film actor to avenge the death of a friend. Yeah, that's a weird one. Where yeah. They're just like disassembling the car over the right. course of the entire episode. Brian Keith played the police chief. He's Mitch Evers in The Parent Trap. We had him last year in The Mountain Men with Charlton Heston. And we'll see him next in Sharky's Machine later this season. Roddy McDowell was Gillespie. Totally wasted character. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. uh, As was most of the staff, I would say. He's Cornelius in Planet of the Apes. He's Peter Vincent in Fright Night. He voiced the Mad Hatter on Batman the Animated Series. And Snowball on Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. 
Rachel Roberts played Mrs. Dangers. She was Hildegard in Murder on the Orient Express, Gerda Caswell in Foul Play, Bonnie McClellan on the Tony Randall Show. She was also married to Dr. Doolittle Rex Harrison until 71. She committed suicide in November of 1980 and did not live to see this film released. Michelle Pfeiffer played Cordelia. We've had her so far in Hollywood Nights and Falling in Love Again. We'll see her next as Stephanie in Grease 2 next year, and then Elvira in Scarface the year after that. She was Catwoman for Tim Burton, and she was the OG Wasp in the MCU. Bennett Ota played the Hawaiian Chief of Police. He's back to play Akito in Under the Rainbow later this season. He's also the herb shop clerk in The Golden Child. Michael Fairman played Bernard Lupowitz, that's Bernie, uh, in the flashback. He's did, Harris. Did we actually see him in the flashback? When, when the person's putting a gun to his head. Oh, I was like, I don't remember, because he was already dead in all the flashbacks. Yeah. But yes, there was uh, one where he was dying, I guess. Right. He was Harrison in The Kidnapping of the President last year, and also the CHP captain in Any Which Way You Can. Uh, he's also a general in the MacGyver pilot. James Bacon played a reporter. Uh, he's in the acupuncture office, and he also played a reporter in Bogart's Face last year, and he also plays reporters in Meteor and Capricorn One. We just had him as a businessman in Underground Aces. I recognize this guy. I was just gonna yeah, he looks I really familiar, but yeah, I can't place him. But honestly, I think it's just because he looks a lot like Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> it's you and Tommy Lasorda? Yeah, I hate Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> If I had to pick a name for this guy, it would be Tommy Lasorda with a T. Like, he sort of looks like Tommy yeah, Lasorda. Yeah, I got you. Either way, this is a big thumbs up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't waste your time with this one. It's yeah. awful. It's pretty bad. Um, It's just one of those movies where it thinks that it has to squeeze a certain amount of jokes in per minute. And it puts too much effort into that pacing and not enough into any of the jokes being funny. Yeah. And like I said, I, I really wish that like with with mirror cracked that that false opening and this false opening i really wish someone would have just taken the chance to try to to do almost like a murder by death thing where you're trying to stylize something in in a in a vintage era yeah um Mm -hmm. to to get around the racism a little bit in the sense that no we're we're, we're doing we're doing this to make fun of it you can still have it be a comedy it's in the style of a 40s mystery film yeah Yeah, it'd be like an homage movie to Mm -hmm. those movies and just you know trying to recapture exactly what those movies are and And you could even do like a bit where you keep recasting who's playing charlie chan yeah like like or all the white people are played by asian americans (laughs) 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 so you do like the reverse racism i like it (laughs) but yeah um for the most part I don't, I don't think Hatch is super charismatic as the lead either. No. Um, he feels like he's overselling all the bits um, and none of them really work out. I mean, Ustinov is fine. He's playing the character weirdly straight for what the rest of the movie is. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there's nothing to this. And the the none of the red herrings make a lot of sense. Like the Dragon Queen, like, like you said, they don't really spell out completely like what's going on there and why she cares about any of these people. Why is she trying to kill Charlie Chan? Like she went, he sent her to jail, but she's been trying to kill people the whole time. Well, and clearly, like she's doing well. Yeah. Like whatever time she spent in jail didn't seem to harm her much because she's got a chauffeur and fancy clothes. And- yeah. And still, at the end, he's helping her by taking one murder off of her rap sheet. But also two other attempted murders, I guess. Yeah, but there are twelve murders on Mrs. Lupowitz's yeah. rap sheet. That's what she gets. I think I found the Michael 
Fairman was the guy I recognized. Oh, okay. Did you mention that he was on like 188 episodes of The Young and the Restless? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say he wasn't. He wasn't. No, I made that up. It no, was only he was. on 130. No, he was on that. I don't. I. I didn't really. My mom watched Young and the Restless. I didn't really watch that one, but I might have through osmosis picked that up. But I did watch L.A. Law, which he was on a bunch of episodes of L.A. Law. Someone should make a soap opera for elderly people called The Old and the Restful, and it's just them <laughs> sleeping <laughs> at like a convalescence home, and you just hear snoring and stuff. Anyway, uh, thumbs down for me. Yeah, thumbs down. Yeah, way down. Uh, where's this going, Letterbox? Do you guys have it? I do. What do you got, Richard? Uh, I have it in number twelve. Yep. Uh, That's that is correct. <laughs> uh, that I puts, know everything below it, and it's exactly right. Yeah, uh, this puts it below Blood Beach, uh, but strangely above Earthbound. Yeah, I found yep. Earthbound to be more infuriating. I than think we have movie. identical bottom fours right now. Yeah. If Jess has it in twelfth, also that is that is what I have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it goes Charlie Chan, Earthbound, Home Sweet Home Scream. Yep. And there's no contest <laughs> in between any of those movies. Yeah. Um, I, I I wish I could put 12 and 13 on the same line because <laughs> I I equally dislike this movie. No, Earthbound. Earthbound was was much worse production quality. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Home Sweet Home was that much worse well, than Earthbound, and then Scream is that much yeah, worse. But but I understand why Earthbound was low production quality because it was meant to be a TV show pilot. That's true. This like, movie hasn't has no excuse. No excuses. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, don't bother with this one. Uh, it's just a mess. It's not super funny. And it's also extremely racist. I think that's everything for Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat. Share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. Also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our channel there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Dogs of War, which IMDb describes like so. Mercenary James Shannon, on a reconnaissance job at the African nation of Zangoro, is tortured and deported. He returns to lead a coup. We leave you now with a trailer for The Dogs of War. Academy Award winner Christopher Walken. The Dogs of War. The job pays $10,000. Fifteen. It's only a reconnaissance. The reconnaissance. The reconnaissance is no good if you don't come back. I always come back. Welcome to Zangaro. Whoa, wait a minute. This is not America, Mr. Brown. The mission. Could a well-trained, well-equipped mercenary force succeed? Anybody want to know how we're going to do this? Give me names, dates. I'll see to it the money gets paid. And run hard deals. These guys put up a million dollars, so let's make sure this changed, because I figure we ought to keep it. $1,500 a thousand rounds. If you're trying to stick us, I can do business down the street. It's the ultimate in killing technology. No, you put the right mix in this thing, and its killing potential is fantastic. Fragmentation, grenades, tactical, anti-tank, anti-personnel. The weapons. Fire! 
fight. Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. Academy Award winner Christopher Walken. Tom Berenger. The bestseller by Frederick Forsyth. The Dogs of War.